All righty. Well, it's good to uh, it's, it's good to hear you chatter. We're gonna gather back together. If I haven't gotten the chance to uh, to meet you yet, I'm I'm Rob. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. We are gonna be um, in uh, Acts chapter two. We're doing doing a four week pause on who we are. The we, we just finished up First John. If you're with us, we were there from about Easter, and we're about to dive into Daniel. And so I feel like the last year and a half hasn't brought enough conflict in my life, so I thought we would preach through Daniel. If you don't know why that's funny, you will soon. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to enjoy our time in Daniel, but today we're, gonna, we're just going to focus on who we are and uh, really what we call the big three. So in your programs, you could scratch off that title. That is not the right title. It's the big three. Pray before we dive into God's Word. We're going to look at Acts 2.42, page 911 in the Bibles in front of you. Pray together. Father, we, um, I pray that we would take a moment and just pause. And be amazed by this, that the Lord God Almighty, whom the highest heavens can't contain, is about to speak to us. Father, as we hear your word read, that's what we're hearing. We're hearing you speak to us. You're sovereign over all things, which means you're sovereign over our inbox and all the unanswered emails. We can just forget about those. We don't need to know updates of scores. There's nothing happening in social media right now that we need to be clued into. No doubt, many of us came out of the last week and lots of unfinished things vying for our attention. The next 30 or 40 minutes or so, I pray that you would remind us of your sovereign strength over all things, that we might be able to just have our souls calmed, that we might hear from you. Father, thank you for speaking to us in your word. Give us a hunger for it and a humility beneath it. And God, when we gather together, we want to be challenged and stirred. We, we want to be inspired. We want to see things in our lives um, get retuned, and we want to flourish, and we want relationship. We, we, we want so many things, God. We, we even want to be challenged that we might be able to grow as people, but what we need more than anything else is to leave this time more impressed with Jesus Christ, what he has done, all that he is, and all that he promises to do. Show him off in this text. Show him off in our song. Show him off in our prayer. Show him off in our conversations that he might be loud, not just today, but into the coming week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My wife, Katie, and I, we got married in 1999 in August. I turned 22 three weeks earlier in July. A month before that, we had just graduated from Western. Um, and when we got married, so we we're pretty young, it was pretty new, and we decided, we were like, we're going to wait minimum five years to even talk about having kids. We were like, let's just be married. Let's learn how to do the married thing. And, and so this, for the first couple years, that, that worked for us. And then we, we, we'd moved to Boston where I was going to seminary. And, and we just decided, we were just like, we can't wait any longer. We really want to have kids. We're just really excited. And so we began to pray and to kind of dream about having a, a baby and getting pregnant. And then Katie got pregnant. And you take the pregnancy test and it comes back and it's like, 
you are, we're having a baby. I remember this moment of like, we're having a baby. This is incredible. We went out to dinner. At that time, it was Quiznos. So we got to a celebratory Quiznos, and, and we're, we're eating Quiznos, and, and it was toasted. It was fantastic. And then I got hit with this. What now? Begin to read books. Trying to figure everything you can about, you know, it's your pregnancy week by week, and oh, okay, here's what's happening with the baby and development, and here's what, how we need to be growing, and you're accumulating baby clothes, and, and, and you're getting lots and lots of advice, and you're assembling cribs, and you're studying which diapers to get, and then the big day comes, and you have your baby, and I remember holding my daughter, Em, I'm holding her in my hands, like commissioner to the Lord. It's like, what now? <laughs> The goal wasn't just to have a baby. The goal was to raise a human. We wanted to flourish. We wanted to be someone who stands up and stands out for Christ. We wanted to know the Bible. We wanted to, to love Jesus. We wanted to, to love her neighbors. And so you begin to do all this stuff to try to, to, to help this little person grow into to, to the mature stature and fullness of Christ. Here's why I bring it up. The raising of a child is a wonderful metaphor for the growing of a Christian. The Bible uses language. When you come to faith, it uses language like this. You're born again. That God gives you new life. That he takes a heart of stone and he gives it a heart of flesh. That he takes you from death to life. And, and, and one of the things we might ask, though, is you come to faith and then we might say, so what next? What are you supposed to do? Just like our kids, we want to grow up in Christ to stand up and stand out for Jesus. But How? So what we're going to do today, we're going to look at what we at Redeemer call the big three of Christian growth or discipleship. There's for sure other things that go into growing, for sure. But if we could break them down, if we could only pick three things, in a minute I will lay out the three things that we would pick. Before we do that, though, if you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Every now and then I just remind us why, we, why in our church we stand during, during the reading, that the great king is addressing us. And so as he speaks to us, this just reminds us with our bodies the authority of his word, and then we sit during the sermon. Acts 2, 41 through 47. This is God's holy, flawless, path-providing word. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Feel free to, to grab a seat. One of the things we've got to do before we talk about the big three is what comes before the big three. What happens before? Um, a number of years ago, there was a guy named David who was a Western student, and he was not yet a Christian. He was asking questions about the faith. He'd, he trickled into a service or two through some, some friendships and relationships, and he got connected with Pete, our community life pastor, who was up uh, doing announcements and, and leading us in prayer for college students prior to the sermon. 
And uh, people began to meet with them and talk with them and just kind of try to try to just get to know them, befriend them, listen to them, answer questions with them. And they were they were in the Viking Union over at Western, and and Pete walked through the storyline of the gospel, and, and it just it landed on him. It landed on him. So what I want to do is I want to walk you through the storyline of the gospel in a way I don't think Pete used this, but I'm using I'm doing it because there is one verse that he did point to, and it just leads into a really great response from this guy David. And so let me give you this what's called the Romans. Road. This is a good summary of what the, the gospel, the good news of how God reconciles us back to him. So if, if for, for a reminder for some of you, and maybe a, as an introduction to what is it that Christians believe at the core, really believe. So here's, here's the, the Romans road. You may not be able to read this. Okay, I'll read them for you. So stop number one on this road. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All without distinction. Every single one of us has failed to live the way we were designed by God. We, 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 we have a sense that we failed to live the way we want to on our social, cultural spheres. A text like this points out we have failed to live as we were designed to live. Romans 5.8, stop two, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the middle of our running and our rebellion and our indifference to God, God doesn't insert himself the way our culture does. He brings something called grace. He gives us what we don't deserve. He sends Christ Jesus to to, to live the life that we were meant to live and then died the death that we were destined to die, rise from the dead and triumph over the grave. Stop three, Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gracious gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's it's highlighting the the bad news so the good news sounds good. That what we merited was a life apart from God, but God intervenes while we're sinners and says, Christ, and through Christ we might have eternal life with him. And then a picture of true freedom that comes if you believe this. Stop number four, Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. All the judgment has been put on Christ. There's none left for you. There's no stiff arming with God. In Christ, there's forgiveness and welcome. Then stop five is the invitation to believe. Romans 10.9 If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The storyline of Christianity is not, you're not right with God. Here's all the things you have to do to try to make up for it. It's look to Christ. And so in the Viking Union with this young 21-year-old man named David, he sat at a table with Pete and it clicked. So that's what I need. I know I haven't lived as I ought to. None of us have. And he confesses his sin and confesses his need and he turns towards Christ. And, and the reason I brought up this Romans road is one of the verses they did look at was this Romans 8.1. Pete opens up the Bible. They're sitting there looking at these passages and he says, Dave, read this passage. There's therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And Pete looks at him with this smile and says, you know what that means, right? Free. And they did the most college response that I can possibly imagine. I love this response. He jumps up on the table in the Viking Union, and he goes, oh, and drops a giant S-bomb in the whole place. He says, I'm a Christian. 
I love that. You don't think that's, I love that. Maybe you don't. And it tells you something about me, I guess, that that is like the, I love the first thing that this guy does after he becomes a Christian is swear and then go get baptized. Praise God. But now what? What's next? What's next? One of the dangers in, in your Bibles with, between verses 41 and verse 42 of this text is that there's a little headline that goes in there. There's a little italic bolded headline. And, and the headlines in the Bible were not part of the original text. They're things that were put in by Bible translators to try to help us navigate the page. And oftentimes it's very helpful, but here it may not be helpful because what it does is it separates these two verses that are actually meant to be connected together. Look at verse 42. The they of verse 42 is the those of verse 41. The ones that devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, the fellowship and the prayers are the those that just believe the gospel. It's connecting it, saying they came to faith in Christ alone. Now what? In verses 42 through 47, lay out, I would suggest to you, a really succinct summary of the, next, of the now what? What's next? As we pause as a church to, uh, for a few weeks to go through who we are as a church, I thought it might be helpful to visualize, here's the vision we have as a church, here's, in, here's the strategy we have to pull that off, and then here's the primary ways, the big three that we really focus on as a church. And so we'll put a, a diagram up on the screen. If you can't see it from the back, I'll kind of act it out a little bit um, and try to explain the parts. So our vision of a, as a church is that everyone everywhere would experience the gospel. Everyone, Christians, non-Christians, everywhere, here to the ends of the earth, experience that they would understand the freeing, forgiving power of Christ, that we can be made right with him, but not just the doctrine, but that the culture and environments they dwell in would actually feel like the very grace we sing about and we pray about, that the reality of no condemnation would settle on us. It would be all of those things. How do we do that? This next little part, this is called a strategy pyramid. So as you work down this thing, we're saying, how do we do that? What's the, if you're going to say, what's the strategic principle that undergirds everything we do as a church? It's this word, that. We want to make disciples that. Make disciples that. Plant churches that. Make disciples that make disciples that plant churches that make disciples. And it just goes on and on and on. What that means is in our church, there's no bench warmers. There's nobody in the stands. Everyone's on the field. Everyone is called, just like David, as he comes to faith in Christ, the the hope is that he wouldn't just meet Jesus, but then he'd help others grow up in Christ and meet Jesus and help other people meet Jesus and grow up in Christ. This is your God-given destiny. And the way we do that in our church, it's not the only way, but the big three. If you're going to say, okay, what are the primary tactics? What are the three main things that we do as a church to try to pursue Everyone experiencing the gospel would be these three, corporate worship, biblical community, and intentional training. That's it. That's the big three. Corporate worship, biblical community, and intentional training. What we're going to do is we're going to unpack those first two quite a bit, and then in two weeks, we're going to really lean into intentional training. Um, and so I'm not going to hit that very much, I'll just let you know that now, but let's, let's, let's lean in to both of these handles, to corporate worship and to, to biblical community. Um, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. It's primarily the gospel, this Romans road story, the truth of how people are brought near to God, and then the rest of the Bible, to the fellowship, to participating with one another, to the breaking of bread, 
In the context that this is written, that likely looked like meals that they would share with one another, but ultimately culminating in communion, which we celebrate every week as a church, the retelling of the gospel of how we're made right with God, and then the prayers as they commune with God. They devote themselves, but then look how they do it. Down in verse 46, it says this, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. That there's different contexts in which they devoted themselves to these things. There was larger environments where they gathered together in the temple. They would get together, the people that met Christ, the, the, those of verse 41, they would gather together. And it, it might be, now there's a lot more people then than in, in here, but it was something similar. They would gather together in corporate worship, and then they would break up into smaller environments throughout the week, day by day, gathering in each other's homes, in each other, going, going to Makeworth and grabbing coffee, going down to Black Sheep, hanging out in our living rooms, hanging out in the cul-de-sac, gathering back together on Sundays for corporate worship, breaking into biblical community. There's this rhythm happening on. The word corporate, when we probably, maybe you've grown up in church your whole life and you've heard corporate worship and it feels, feels very businessy. Um, Corpus comes from the Latin word corpus, which means body. What's happening right now is the body of Jesus is assembled together. It's one of the the things that makes this so, have so much gravity. The parts of Christ are brought together as a people. When the parts of Christ are brought together as a people when we attend the temple together, and there's some similarities and dissimilarities from this text, as we come together, we're doing at least three different things. I don't remember where I got these, but I thought there's a really helpful summary of what's happening in this, this moment. There's exaltation, there's edification, and there's evangelism. Exaltation, this, this praise to God, there's edification, the building up of one another, and, and we pray evangelism as people get to hear about the grace of God and become a part of Christ's body. So let's take those each as we go. Corporate worship has exaltation. One of the things that can really help orient us to, to what we're doing here is asking this question, who's the primary audience? One of the things that can really help you think about how you prepare to ask, who's the primary audience as I gather with the people of Christ? I'll tell you, it's one of the nerve-wracking things that I ask myself, who's the primary audience when I preach? We have a little bit of a nod to it in verse 47 that they were praising God. The things they were devoted to were the things of God, that that the primary audience of our gathering is actually not one another, but it's God. From start to finish, it's about God. Every aspect, the songs, the welcomes, the prayer, the scriptures, the sermon, communion, the benediction, it's ultimately about God. John Whitvillier says it like this. He says, worship is the celebrative response to what God has done, is doing, and promises to do. It's one of the reasons we get together is to retell of the wonderful works of God might be captivated by them and spurred on by them again. Mike Cosper says it like this. He says, throughout history, worship has been a wonder-filled response to the God who made a way to rescue us. I love that phrase, a wonder-filled response. Just pause and think, if, if Christ has saved you 
Think of what that means. Think of how he got you. Think of how he claimed you. Think about the God that while we were sinners, Christ sent his son to die. Think of the wages of sin, and yet he gave us the work of Christ and his righteousness in our place, and it creates wonder and amazement and joy. Heard this story a bunch of years ago. It was a, um, it was a Christian conference, and I think it was down in the south, and huge room, big stage. It's a guy that walks on. By himself, he's out on the stage. Lights are shining on him, just full of people, and he just, he just kind of pauses for a minute or two. Just quietly looks around the room. Just takes his hands and he sticks him up in the air. And he just starts yelling, Jesus, Jesus. And he just is just over and over and over again just yelling the name of Christ over and over and over again with tears streaming down his eyes and, and the, the countenance of his face just radiant. And after a few minutes, he, he stops and he looks at him and he says, thank you for letting me do that. I live in a country where it's illegal to be a Christian. I've never been able to yell the name of my Savior. I love that story and I'm challenged by that story because every week I get to gather. I get to proclaim the name of my King. I get to exalt the God who has made a way. What happens? The body of Christ comes together for exaltation. It comes together for edification. I want to be really clear. Um, going to church, you know, we don't go to church. We are the church, but we gather as a church. But just go with me. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian, but it really will help you be more like Christ. It's not going to make you one, but it will help you be more like Christ. Let me give you a few ways this, this works out. Um, every guitarist knows this. No matter how expensive, how nice, how put together, how fancy your guitar is, you have to retune it regularly. The strings just get little degrees off. The, the, the notes don't sound quite right, and so you have to constantly t- retune your guitar. We're like that too. So we, we just get slightly off. Uh, our hearts just get a little bit out of tune. They get a little sharp or a little flat. Sundays, one of the things that Sundays can do is to retune us. The way Trevin Wax says this, church going is a spiritual habit, a beautiful one. We should not lift up the occasional visit to church in which we expect to be awestruck by our experience with God, to change us. Instead, we need to recognize the power of frequent and regular visits to church. The ongoing habit of singing praise to God and hearing him speak through his word. It's not the one sermon that changes your life, but the thousand sermons you hear over a decade. It's not the one worship experience that forms you, but the weekly rhythm of refocusing your heart and mind on the God who made you as you praise the Savior who redeemed you and sends the spirit that indwells in you. In our text, you hear this rhythm in verse 46. It says, in day by day. There was this regular, frequent engagement into the things of God. And one of those things was, was corporate worship, the gathering of the church to, to go in day in, day out. I, I, I love so much about Trevin's uh, quote, uh, th- this idea that it's, it's just the regular rhythms to, re, 
retune us, but I also love how ordinary it all is. And part of the regular rhythms of retuning is it helps us not get so far off course before we have to get brought back. Just the regular rhythm of coming in keeps us going down the tracks that we want to. But it's also this, it's not the one sermon. It's the thousands. It's, it's not the one, you know, musical experience that just levels us. For some of us, we, we've had those, those moments, but it's the regular built-up reality time after time after again. I absolutely love that. Reminds me of this opinion piece I read in a newspaper um, a couple years ago. The guy that wrote in, he said, I'm quitting church. I started thinking about it. I, I, I've been in church for 30-plus years. I've heard thousands of sermons. I don't remember a single one. I am just wasting my time. I'm done. Next week, someone responds, and they write back. It's like one of these editorials where you could reply to each other, and it says something like this, that I've been married for over 30 years. My wife has graciously cooked me meals for 30 years. I don't remember most of those meals, but I'm not dead. <laughs> that was great. Just the regular intake. It wasn't about being blown away by one moment. It was just the regular intake begins to retune and feed us and fuel us. It doesn't retune our hearts. It also renews our minds. Um, we are being catechized all the time. You maybe have heard that phrase, catechism, uh, the training of the basics and foundations of the Christian faith, but the reality is our world is catechizing us all the time. It's telling us what to think, how to think, what to believe, what's right, what's not right, what's just, what's unjust, and many of us find ourselves being inundated with so much information, we don't know what to do with it. And into that, what God does is he gives us corporate worship. A time for God to train us and to speak to us. We see it in the songs and scriptures and the sermons. It's what the liturgy, the, the order of a service, um, if you come from high church environments, like a little bit, uh, well, they don't wear jeans. So, or you come from, but, but behind it, there's always a liturgy. And what that word means is a work for the public good. The order of the service is a work for the public good. Every single part of it is trying to form the mind of Christ in us and, and God is present in what he's doing. Like when, when you're welcomed, guess what? God is welcoming you. When, when we're praying, God is communing with us. When you hear his word read, God is speaking to you. When we're singing, God is listening to us. Or when we're... When we receive communion, God is reminding us of how we're made right with him and he is lavishing grace upon us. At the end of a service, we do this thing called a benediction where you're sent out with a, with a good word. God is blessing you and commissioning you. Corporate worship also has a tendency to restore hope. All week long, um, some of, man, your week might have been amazing. I hope it was. Just wait, it will get worse, <laughs> right? Still, life has a, has a tendency to not always go great. There are times when it's just, just the, 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 the pull of world. It could just be boredom or exhaustion or worry or relational strife or all sorts of other things. And Sundays are an opportunity to be reminded of hope in the midst of a, of a world that often can be fractured. I love the way Mike Cosper says, he says this. He says, worship isn't merely a yes to the God who saves, but also a resounding and furious no to the lies that echo in the mountains around us. It's not just a yes to the God who saves, but a resounding and furious no. To the lies we hear all the time. We come into this place and say, no, I am not forsaken. No, I am not alone. No, I am not unforgivable. 
No, this is not unredeemable. No, injustices will not always continue. No, death and sickness will not win. Oh, justice will flow. Oh, the nations will be gathered. Oh, death and sickness will be wiped away. Oh, eh, there, there, there will be a day when this will all give way to a new creation where Christ reigns on earth as it is in heaven. This is a countercultural protest to the cynicism and exhaustion of this world. You know that's what you were doing. It's also evangelism. So we have exaltation, we have edification. It's also evangelism. We see this a bit in what happens out of the gathered community um, as they're day by day in the temples and together in their homes and each other's lives. We see the Lord add to their number daily. Those who are saved, many of us have seen it in our own lives. I'll just give you maybe a couple of ways to, to work this out, how it can be evangelism. Um, a number of years ago, my wife and I, we, were, we uh, volunteered coaching soccer for a bunch of years, and we get to know the kids and their families and, and friends, and, and uh, one family we got to know pretty well. We started having over to our house a bunch, do some vacations, spending time with, and at some point, they said, hey, you know, we don't know any Christians. They weren't from, from, from this area. They're in a place where there's just way less Christians, and they said, we've never been to, to a church. We haven't really experienced this. Um, you know, would you care if we came and visited your church? And I was like... I guess. And so, so they, they, they came and they visited and they were here for like a month. And then I remember I asked them, I said, so what do you think? What's it like for you? And they said, you know, my, you know what our favorite part is? The singing. I was like, really? You love the singing? And I'm thinking like non-Christians in a room with people singing. Like where else do you do that if you're not in choir? Like it's like one of the strangest things we do is to gather people of God in our culture is gather and sing. say, yeah, we love it. We sit there and we look around the room. And we go, these people must really believe them. A couple months later, we got to baptize one of them over here at Blodel Donovan. You led her to Christ through your singing. Some of you don't sing that well. <laughs> if this is not evidence from the mighty grace of God, I love it. I just, you're all beautiful. Um, all right. Let me give you one more application, and this one is geared towards parents, but it's recognizing that... It's a, it's a community project. Um, evangelism works out with our kids, too. When you prioritize church, your kids will likely grow up and prioritize church. If you don't, they likely won't. I was listening to a podcast this last week with a guy named Matt Chandler who has a newer book out on family discipleship, and he referenced a study where he, he talked about two primary ways or two of the most impactful things in handing down our faith, and one of them was go to church together. You know, like, really go. So, like, when your kids are old enough to sit with you, and we think it's wonderful to have age-appropriate uh, teaching and engagement, and, and however that works for you as a family, but, but, but when you can, like, come together and serve together and sit together and let them see mom and dad worshiping Jesus. Let them look over and say, like, I'm not sure what I think, but that guy sure seems to think, of, like, love it. That guy's my dad. That's my mom. And then you get back in the car, and when you're on the way home, you ask, what'd you hear? I don't know. Then you ask again, and you ask again, and the regular routine of doing it is one of the most effective ways of handing down the faith. It's corporate worship, exaltation. There's a lot more we could say, but exaltation, edification, evangelism. All right, I got four and a half minutes left, and we got to get through the rest of this. Biblical community, biblical 
community. Sundays are a huge deal and provide a lot, but they can't do it all. This context works great for some things. It's not great for other things. And so we have a text like this that actually gives us these different contexts. It says they're gathering in the temple. They're gathering in their homes. There's lots of different places where they're devoted to the things of God together. We need different settings for different things. Now look at verses 44 through 46. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Now, I'm not going to get into, like, is this an uh, early form of socialism and economy? I'm not. This wasn't government mandated. You go wherever you want with it. They were, here's what they were doing. They were just friends with each other, caring for each other, loving each other, in tune with the needs of one another. Who wouldn't want that? I do, when I do premarital counsel, one of the things I... I tell the couples, as I said, you, you got to have your, your people before you think you need your people. You got to have a bullpen before you think you need the bullpen. And so when I do a, a, a wedding, I say, that I, have two, I have two requirements. I will not do your wedding until you provide for me at least two things. You gotta, you gotta, we got to talk about your budget. I need to see a written budget. You think it's like the most unspiritual thing ever, but it's super important because one of the primary things that couples fight about. And everyone else is like, I got to do a budget. Yes, you have to do a budget. I will not do your wedding unless you do a budget. Really? I said, yes, I won't. I promise have to see your budget. So do a budget. All right, second thing. You got to have your bullpen. Not just the mentor sage that's going to dive into every chaotic situation you might face. You need a lot of people to carry this load. You need people that are committed to you and committed to your marriage. And you need them before you think you need them. It's the same thing for us as Christians. It's the same thing for us as humans. Over the years, I will tell you, one of the saddest things is when somebody faces crisis in their life and they don't know anyone to help. And we try, we'll get, we'll get requests in the church, oh, I lost my job, I, I'm, I'm lonely, I'm sick, I don't know what to do for my daughter. I don't like, like, we try to help, but it's really hard to build those relationships when you're in the storm. And so you got to find your people before you think you need your people. Let me contrast it with this. Let me, like, like, imagine having this. There was a, a couple part of our church, and they were pregnant. They were 20 weeks pregnant. It was 21 weeks, and they got some news that no parent ever wants. They were told there was zero chance that their baby would make it. And so when that happens, the texts go out, and the phone calls get made. They're like, this is what we just heard. We, we, we are blindsided. We're heartbroken. We, we don't know what to do, P- you know. People pray, people just listen, people just weep, people just cry. I remember having a conversation with the dad, and, and he was like, Rob, look, I know, I know, I know that God can heal. I know he can, but I don't really believe it right now. And I can't really even bring myself to pray it. He said, you don't have to. That's why God gave you a church. We will believe for you. And we just kept praying. Now, now by God's grace, the child lived. Absolute miracle. But miracles don't always happen. And in those places, we need community too. Here's a quote from just a dear sister in our church. We had our first miscarriage. This was an extremely difficult season for us. We were so heartbroken and grieved by our loss. And I hope you hear that here. When you go through hard things in this church, it's not just... Look like it doesn't phase you. 
It's okay to be broken in broken situations. It's right and good. We were so heartbroken and grieved by our loss. To be able to share that grief with our community was something that I will forever carry with me. Our community had celebrated with us when we found out we were pregnant and when we shared in our loss, they came around us, hands on our shoulders and prayed. As we prayed, one of my dear friends had a teardrop land on my shoulder. I can't quite explain how meaningful it was to have someone alongside me grieving together and reminding me that I am seen and loved by my Heavenly Father. To be able to share in celebration, but also to be able to come alongside fellow believers and carry one another's burdens is a gift that I cherish and cling to. God works through others to remind me daily of his steadfast love. Corporate worship is beautiful. But you don't have that if you don't get biblical community. People to not always take away the pain, just to be there with us in it. Finding your people at Redeemer. I heard this line recently, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. That was a great line. The people you connect with, the people you link up with, the people that you day by day break bread with will be a great determiner of where you're going to, to go. And so, so if you, you want to grow up in Christ, we want to offer you opportunities to be able to, to do that, to find your people. If you found your people, to, to share that with, with other people. Here's some, some ways, if I could lay out like the community life ecosystem of our church. These are some of the primary ways. These are not the only ways for sure, but some of the primary ways. If you're in a spot where you have not found your people, here's some ways that you can find your people, um, meetups. Start doing these things called meetups, very low commitment. Basically, a meetup is do stuff you like and invite other people to do it with you. Or find meetups that other people are doing that sound interesting. It could be mountain biking. It could be, you know, smoking meat. It, it could be walking on the beach. It could be baking a souffle. I don't, I don't know what it is, but it's like whatever the thing you like to do, let, there's a way to do it on the website where you fill out a little form and it, and it advertises it and other people might show up and you actually might find your people. It's a great way to, to find your people. It's also a great way for, for, for friends of friends to find Jesus. And so meetups are a great way to do that. Uh, connected that are different events. We do men and, and women events. We had a women's event about a week ago. We have another men's breakfast next week. This is a great place to go into a mid-size environment and just sit at a table and get to know somebody. We're going to do a turkey bowl again this year out at Whatcom Community College. We have been known, I think God has given us the, the world's greatest athletes. And so there, there might be a staff person that actually recruits athletes to come play in our annual turkey bowl. So start stretching now, but it's a great place to come. You may not like playing flag football, but come and watch. We'll have barbecues and kids stuff. It's an awesome time to just meet people. GCs. You already heard from Pete. GCs. Gospel communities. Groups of 10, 20, 30 people, all ages, uh, men and women, kids, gathered together around the gospel, just sharing meals, loving each other, serving their city. Great way to meet a lot of people fast. DGs, discipleship groups. I like to think it's like mile wide and mile deep. Usually three to five or so, same gender, get together, pray. Great place for accountability. Great place to really be known. Great place to confess sin. Great place to really study the word of God together. And then membership. Membership, it's like the DTR of the church. You know what DTR? I asked the first person, I've been college students sitting there, I said, do, do, do the kids say DTR anymore? And they all said, no. And I said, well, what do they say? They said, we can't tell you. 
And so I still, I don't have anything new for the second service. All I got is DTR. So a membership is like to define the relationship. You know what I'm saying, right? It's to define the relationship on your role in the church because what it lets your, your pastors know and what it lets other members know is that you want to be part of this community. It says that don't let me wander without coming after me. It says, I want to be a part of this body. I want to build up this church. So I just encourage you, if you've never considered membership before, we'll have opportunities. The Welcome to Redeemer is a good spot to go just to get your feet wet in that. We do membership classes to kind of talk about this is what membership looks like. I love this this, uh, quote from Colin Hansen and Jonathan Lehman from Rediscover Church. Um, There's piles of them in the back as you came in. I pray you got one. If you didn't, grab one on your way out. Eat the Meat, Spit the Bones, but it's a really good book. It's a good overview of just how important the local church is. But they say this about church membership. Church membership offers the safety of the sheep pen where Christ is shepherd. It offers the nourishment of being attached to a body, like an arm to a torso, where Christ is the head. It offers the love of a family, where Christ is the firstborn among many heirs. It offers the obligations and duties of citizenship in a holy nation, where Christ is king. A lot more to say. Corporate worship, biblical community. And then the last one, if you remember that last little triangle, intentional training. I'm already so long, we're not even going to talk about it. We'll wait three weeks, but I do want to put this slide up for you. So you take this little three-part Venn diagram, okay? Corporate worship, biblical community, intentional training. And right in the middle, this is what you get, deep discipleship. And you know it's trustworthy because it's a diagram. It's right there. What's next? How do I grow? It's right there. It's right there. Corporate worship, biblical community, intentional training. And this is why. Best thing I would say that ever happened to me in my walk with the Lord was discovering a local church. As a freshman at Western, I think I'd been there for like a week or so. My wife, uh, who's my wife now, uh, we were dating at the time, Katie, um, she became a Christian her sophomore year, I believe, in in high school through Young Life. And so when she got to Western, she really wanted to be a, a, a lead for, for Young Life um, because it was a place where she met Christ and really grew up in her faith. So she wanted to do that now with, with high school students. And, and it, it was probably just a glitch of a moment, but there were so many leaders for Young Life, they didn't need female leaders. Isn't that, I mean, that never happens anymore. So just volunteer, 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 wherever you can. But so they said, we actually just don't even have a spot. And so from that, she ended up uh, hearing about a church called Christ the King, the time they were meeting out kind of further up the guide and uh, that they had the need for, for volunteers. They had a high school ministry and they needed people to come in and, and work with high school students. And so she was like, I'm gonna go check that out. So she goes and checks it out and she comes back and I was like, hey, honey. I probably said, I don't know, maybe I called you honey back. And I said, hey, Katie, how'd it go? And she's like, it was great. It was so fun. It's just great people and great students and all that stuff. I was like, tell me about, well, like, tell me about the church. And neither one of us were like hugely invested in any local church prior to this point. I'd been kind of in and out of some, but grew up mostly kind of nominally Catholic. That was my background. And so she says, yeah, it was great. It was super like low key and fun. And, and they meet in like this warehouse, like off the, off the guide. And I was like, the churches can't meet in warehouses. It sounds like it's a cult. I said, do you, <laughs> you know, it's like 95. It was new. I was like, no, you got to have like a 
big thing and it's got a brick everywhere. And, and, and it's like, no, it's, God, it sounds like a cult. I, I totally like trust you, but do you, can I come check it out just to make sure that it's not a cult? And she's like, well, sure. And so we go. And by the end of the night, I was then a volunteer leader for the high school group. So the, the, the evening ended and I was now volunteering every single week. Then I started leading music at the 1155. Every, every Sunday I was there, 1155. And you know, when you have to serve on a Sunday morning, it really helps you make better choices Saturday night. And so that was a godsend in college, godsend in college. And so I would, we would go there, but then the service would go past the time where you get food on campus. And so there was a group of guys that said, they just a bunch of single guys that love Jesus in their mid-20s that said, hey, you, you just come to our house. One of them volunteered with us and said, just come over to our house and we'll feed you. So we went over there and they're like, yeah, our fridge is your fridge. And then I was like, hey, I also know she got a washer and dryer. I don't got one of those in the dorm. What do you think? Yeah, we could totally do that. So I'm bringing my laundry over there. And for four years, the Lord kept us near to him because he had us near to his people. I, I thought about this this morning. I don't want to sensationalize it. I really don't. I think without that, I would not have made it. At the time, my life was straddling multiple worlds. And what God used was the same stuff he used here. It's the same stuff he invited David to when he came to faith in the Viking Union. It's the same stuff he invites you to. This is, this is what's next. This is the now what? Corporate worship. Biblical community. An intentionality with how we grow. I'll end with uh, just a challenge from, from this book, Re- Rediscover Church. Colin Hansen is the one who's writing at the end of it, and he... Uh, which I really would encourage you to grab as you head out. Um, he ends with this challenge when people become members. He ends, with, he, he ends with this challenge. He says, hey, when I talk to, with new church members, I make a big promise. And so far, no one has ever returned to complain that I misled them. He says, here's the challenge. Show up consistently. Get involved in community. And you will get everything you need out of church. Spiritual growth, friendship, biblical knowledge, opportunities to serve. That simple. I know not everyone has had great experience. I know, I know that. I know that. But, but the, here's the challenge. Show up consistently and get involved in a community. Don't just be around it. Get involved. And you get everything you need. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the calling the privilege and importance of worshiping together. Because it's a call and we dare not dismiss it easily or take it lightly because it is you we get to meet with. May we come prepared, expectant, and ever more grateful. According to the scriptures, our gatherings will become increasingly important as the day of Jesus' return grows closer and closer. Help us to take corporate worship more seriously and engage more wholeheartedly than ever. Thank you for our church community. Thank you for fellow sojourners to walk with through this world as we look towards and live for the world to come. We cannot do it alone. None of us can. None of us has to. Would you help each person in our church find his or her people? Help us know how good biblical, grace-saturated, Jesus-loving community can be. Let us all experience it deeply.
Father, may we, as your beloved children, give you, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, the worship of which you alone are worthy. Feed our minds with your word. Fill our hearts with your grace. Empower our worship by your spirit. May we gather, not as consumers looking to be pleased, but as true worshipers longing to be consumed with your glory and grace. Father, through our corporate worship and our gatherings throughout the week, we pray that you will be blessed, revealed, and magnified, and that we will be humbled, gladdened, and transformed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.